0: The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888 480 8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888 480 8474. God's Word comes to us today from the Book of Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13, hear God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, They are filled with new wine. That's far God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would open this part of your word to us. This amazing, momentous watershed in redemptive history. Jesus' celebration of his coronation and enthronement in the gift of his spirit on his church in last day's prophetic power to equip his people to bring his word of good news to the ends of the earth. We are beneficiaries of that message, that mission, because we've heard your word in our own tongues. And Father, we thank you that we can also be your instruments through whom others can hear your mighty deeds of redemption in Jesus through our lips in their own tongues. So speak to us from your word, by your spirit, in these moments we have to reflect today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are new this year. Well, you're a semester old, but uh, you're still new. Those of you who have been here longer recall that in the 2011-12 academic year, I had the privilege of leading us on a leisurely stroll Uh, ten reflections on Acts chapter one throughout the year. Uh, Last fall we benefited from Dr. Howell Jones being here and I love to be preached to. Uh, But now this semester I get to lead you on what will not be a leisurely stroll but a a sprightly stride through Acts chapter two, I think, uh, unless we slow down. In Acts one you will recall, or you need to be reminded, Uh, We heard and saw the risen Lord Jesus give many convincing proofs that he was alive to his apostles, his witnesses, over a period of 40 days. We heard him promise to pour out the Holy Spirit in power, making his church his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We saw through their eyes when he ascended into heaven with the clouds to take his seat at God's right hand as the glorified Son of Man. We listened in as the church Devoted itself to constant, unified, expectant prayer for the coming of the Spirit as Jesus had promised. And then at the end of that chapter, we saw that in answer to the church's prayer and in fulfillment of God's word, Jesus appointed a replacement for Judas the traitor so that the number 12, the apostles, would be up to full strength in keeping with God's word before the Spirit came. Now, in Acts chapter 2, The event promised by John the Baptist throughout his ministry, pointing to Jesus, and promised by Jesus in Acts 1-5, has arrived. The arrival of God's Spirit in last day's power. This event is what those early Christians had been praying for since Jesus' ascension. This event is going to give public evidence that Jesus is alive and ruling at God's right hand this event will set in motion a global spread of God's kingdom to the end of the earth. Naturally, then, Luke describes the day of Pentecost arriving. Well, that's the ESV. It's a fine translation, but you Greek scholars know that behind it is a very unusual term in the biblical terminology. Sumpleirao, a word that only appears a couple other times in the New Testament uh, and a few times actually in the Greek Septuagint, the Old Testament. A word that has embedded within it the idea of the filling up of a set number of days or years to an appointed promised goal. Luke used it at that momentous turning point in his gospel in chapter 951 when he begins to fix his face toward Jerusalem. Luke says, again the ESV, when the days drew near, that's when the days were being fulfilled for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In the Old Testament text it's used by Jeremiah and a cognate noun in 2 Chronicles and Daniel to describe the filling up of the 70 years of Israel's exile, the land of Judah's exile the land giving its rest for 70 years. So it's despite its commonplace appearance in English, arrival is theologically, chronologically, eschatologically loaded. It's the arrival of this particular Pentecost, that is, this particular Feast of Weeks, seven weeks after the Passover Unleavened Bread Festival that witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection, that is now going to bring in a huge, huge harvest. It's all about God keeping his promises. And you'll notice as the Spirit comes, he signals his coming with three observable phenomena, two sounds and a sight. The sound of rushing wind, the sight of flames or tongues of fire distributed over the heads of each of the assembled 120 believers in that upper room, and then the sound of God's wonders being proclaimed in the languages of the nations. That's our structure for today. Each, actually, of those is worth its own morning devotions. But as I say, we're not strolling, we're striding. So we're going to look at all three briefly and ask what they show us, not just about that event back then, back there, but about what that has to say to us in our ministry as members of that Holy Spirit-baptized church that continues our calling as Jesus gave it to us so long ago. So the sound of... A mighty rushing wind came, enlivening a new Israel. Both the Hebrew and the Greek words for spirit can also mean wind or breath. Now the wind word here is actually not the word that you Greek scholars know, pneuma. It's a somewhat related word, pna'e. It's the word that actually appears in the Old Testament translation in Genesis 2 when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. It's that term. And that's probably part of the reason why the Holy Spirit led Luke to this specific term to describe the wind. This is a new creation. This is a new enlivening. Oh, there are other echoes of the Old Testament. Certainly there's a relation to Ezekiel and his vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, where the bones are reassembled and then flesh is built on them, and, and then, but still he's got a, a valley full of corpses, and, and the Lord says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. And then he's prophesied to the wind, and the spirit, the wind, enters those corpses, and suddenly they stand as a mighty army, the people of God resurrected from their death, in exile. This is all about new life coming. New life, in a sense, God is breathing into the lungs of his his new Israel so that they can speak his word. Now, of course, the apostles and the other believers who were gathered there, in a sense, had already received the Holy Spirit's life-giving touch. If they hadn't, they certainly would not have believed Jesus' promises They certainly would not have been waiting and expectant prayer. They would have had stone cold hearts the way Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel 36. So the spirit is already at work within them. But now it's going to become very obvious to everybody. I think this is an example of what Jesus said to that Jewish leader Nicodemus when he was trying to help Nicodemus grasp this idea of being born from above and born of the spirit. He said the wind blows wherever it wants. You hear its sound but you don't quite know where it came from. You can't trace the origin of that breeze. So is everyone born of the Spirit. These people have been born of the Spirit. Now everybody's going to hear the sound. Now everybody's going to hear the sound. If God's Spirit has breathed life into your heart, His purpose is also to breathe life into your spiritual lungs so that you'll speak His Word, the sound of rushing wind, new life, new creation. Well, what's seen then, verse 2, is, or 3, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Interestingly, Luke has just said in verse 2 that the spirit, the sound of the spirit, the sound of the wind fills the whole house where they were sitting. And the analogy to what happened in Exodus 39 and especially Exodus 40 is unmistakable. When the glory of God filled the tabernacle. So much so that Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting. And the priests couldn't enter the tent of meeting the tabernacle for a while. The spirit has come in to fill the tabernacle. So the sound is there. But notice now, just as the Old Testament tabernacle had over it a pillar of fire in the wilderness. And, you know, fire by night, cloud by day. Now, individual miniature pillars of fire rest on each and every one of these believers. They are each and every one a sanctuary of the Spirit, a temple of the Spirit. The fact that the flames separated to rest on them implies that even when Jesus' followers are scattered and dispersed, as they will be later in the book of Acts, when they're sent away from Jerusalem, away from the site of that temple where, according to Old Testament, word, God had put his name, Deuteronomy 12, Solomon makes that reference in 1 Kings 8, Moses' promise fulfilled in the days of Solomon. Even when they're scattered from that, God's spirit is still with them. How very fitting then that God, as God is establishing a new kind of temple, not tied to one location on earth, just as his kingdom is going global. When Solomon dedicated the ancient temple in 1 Kings 8, he prayed about people praying toward this place, this temple in Jerusalem, where you caused your name to dwell, and asked God, who really lives in heaven, to hear prayers directed toward the temple in Jerusalem and answer as people express their faith. When Israelites wanted to get close to the presence of God they made pilgrimage to Jerusalem especially for the three annual feasts every year when some son of Korah penned Psalm 42 and 43 he was way up north on the heights of Mount Hermon and he sensed how far he was in some sense from the presence of God because he couldn't be back in the sanctuary that's the way it was Now, God was present with his people in many ways. As Stephen will say, God was present with his people any place. But there's something special about that temple in the Old Testament. But from now on, from now on, God's holy meeting place with his people is going to be his people. His people. Peter pulls that up in 1 Peter 2. He says, now you are living stones united to Jesus the living stone who gives life, built into a spiritual house. Put a capital S on that, spiritual. Uh, Our English versions are awkward with that. A holy spiritual house. A holy spiritual house in which God dwells by the Spirit. The living God is among us. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That's about us all together when we gather in worship on the Lord's day. We are that temple gathered in the very presence of God. Three chapters later, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul will also talk to us one by one and say, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? God is with us. God is present among his people. Wherever we gather over the whole world, God is getting ready for that great dispersion, that great spreading out of the language of of God's people to the nations, and therefore speaking in the languages of the nations. Sound number two God's mighty deeds spoken in the nations. Tongues. This is the one that Luke really elaborates on in verses 5 through 13. Um, he wants us to understand exactly what is going on here. There's a wordplay that links the tongues of fire with the tongues of the nations. Same word used in Greek in both. Um, and then Paul goes on, or, and Luke goes on to describe how Jesus' servants are speaking the wonders of God in the dialects of the nations. Make it very explicitly plain. This is the languages spoken all over the Roman Empire and beyond. And the regions and the nationalities that he lists there sweeps from the east, the Parthians, to the Romans, in Italy toward the west, from the north in Asia to the south, Egypt and Libya in North Africa, from the island peoples in the center of the sea living on Crete To the desert peoples living on the outside in Arabia, the crowd included not only those born of Jewish parents, but also Gentiles who were proselytes, who had converted to serve the God of Israel. And to the amazement of all, unlettered Galileans were speaking all those languages. And the list of nationalities actually echoes, in some respects, the table of nations in Genesis 10, which leads up to the account of the Tower of Babel. And that's also very deliberate on God's part to remind us of that. Babel, of course, was the place where God judged human pride, where God thwarted the plans of those who wanted to seek fame and control God by resisting his command to spread to fill the earth. God divided those rebels by confusing and disrupting their languages and scattering them, dispersing them over the earth. Now at Pentecost, God's grace in Jesus begins to reunite divided peoples for God's glory, not for man's glory. God speaks his good news directly to the nations, into their heart language. As my son and daughter-in-law, who are Bible translators, love to talk about it, their heart language. Hmm? The tongues of fire and the tongues of the nations show that God is getting ready for a new Dispersion, a new scattering not judging those who were scattered that will happen with Stephen's uh, martyrdom that the scattering begins but it's not in judgment on his people uh, as it was at Babel as it was also in the scattering associated with Judah's exile no, now it's to bring blessing to the nations now it's because God is broadcasting his word out to the world that's why you're here, isn't it? in one way, shape, or form. That's why you're here. You may sense that your Savior, your Lord, is calling you to serve as a pastor, or a teacher, or a counselor, or a missionary, or an elder, or a deacon, or a husband, or a wife, or a parent, or a neighbor, or a friend, or a co-worker. But wherever he calls you, wherever he places you, he's filled your spiritual lungs with the breath of life so that you can speak his word, so that you can declare His good news. Not everybody's going to want to hear it. You notice that last reaction there? I can't speak more on this now. But uh, those who recognized the languages, who had come in from the Jewish dispersion and knew those native tongues of all those places, were amazed and astonished and heard God's wonders. And the native-born Judeans, not recognizing those languages, dismissed it as a bunch of drunken people. The Bible always does that kind of dividing. The aged Simeon said that when he held the infant Jesus in his arms three plus decades earlier. He's going to divide Israel. Some will rise, some will fall. He'll be spoken against. Jesus' parables did that, didn't it? It put people in different camps. For the insiders, that is the believers, who had come to know God by his grace, not their worthiness, not certainly their insight, the parables opened up the secrets of the kingdom. For others, Jesus says, They hide the secrets from willfully blind eyes and deliberately deaf ears and adamantly stone-hard hearts. That's part of the calling that comes to you too, to speak to people knowing that to some, this good news, as plain as you make it and as much as you labor to show how sweet it is, To some, it will definitely be the aroma of life to life. But to others, the stench of death. Yet, yet, still remember, this is the beginning of a harvest in the power of the Spirit where the word of Christ goes to the ends of the earth. And you are still part of that process. What a privilege. What a daunting responsibility How wonderful it is that our risen, ruling Lord has sent his spirit in such power on his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great, great last day's gift. The Holy Spirit coming in all of his gifting and power among us in new ways. Not just on judges, not just on prophets, not just on kings and sometimes priests as in the old to equip them for office, but really on all God's people in one way, shape, or form to be useful in your advance of your kingdom in the world. We know there are still special offices that we see in the New Testament, and we thank you for your provision as the Good Shepherd to give shepherds to the flock and servants, deacons. But we also thank you that uh, you speak to and through all your people and that you meet with us as we gather week by week and worship in your churches to strengthen us, to enliven us, and then to send us out again with the good news of your grace. Use us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.